Hi, everybody, and welcome to Surfacing the Meaning in the Story, a podcast produced by the Mental Health Association of Westchester. I'm Jenna. And I'm Dylan. And we're your hosts for the podcast and really looking forward to the episode today. I have been actually wanting to do this interview for a really long time. And if you are anything like me, then anytime you listen to the podcast, one of the best parts is listening to the music, the intro and outro music. I listen to it in full, like usually at the end of a podcast, they, you know, will turn it off, but I always listen to the music at the end just because I love it so much. And today we have the musician who is behind that music, who produced that music for us. So we can't wait to hear a bit more about him and not only his talent as a musician, but as a professional in the mental health world. Before we get into that, we do want to remind you to please subscribe to the podcast wherever it is that you listen and give us a rating or a review or both. And also feel free to reach out to us at podcast at mhawestchester.org. We always love to hear from you. But without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Jim. Hi, you guys. How are you? Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. We're so excited to have you. Like I just said, I love your music so much. I really enjoy listening to it. So this is just a lot of fun to have you here and talking to us today. Thank you. So, Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and what you do now and whatever you want to share? Now I I am working with On Track New York, which is a first episode intervention for for young folks that are really kind of experiencing first episode psychosis. Mm -hmm. And you in particular are working with individuals around getting back on track in terms of their education and employment goals, right? Yes, absolutely. My job is really about, you know, getting people um, supported education and employment. We've been really successful with that, really helping people stay with their jobs or getting new jobs or staying in school. Yeah. And I mean, we know how important it is to someone's overall well-being to have something that they're doing that is meaningful and that they feel good about, whether that be school or work or volunteering or whatever it might be. So that's a huge piece of the recovery process. Yeah. And you've been with the program since the very beginning, right? Yes, I have. We started that, but I think like eight or nine years ago. Yes. (laughs) Before you started with On Track, what were you doing then? Well, I worked with people with uh, developmental disabilities back in the day, but I had a a brother that had mental illness. So that was kind of my entrance into working with people with with, uh, mental illness. It was a family thing. So yeah, yeah, I'd be interested to hear more about that, what you didn't know beforehand that you learned through that experience and how it shaped your desire to want to work in the field. Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the things that makes me feel really great about is working with families right now that are experiencing that because it's so traumatic for people, for families. It's been a gift for me to talk to people who are working with their children and with their families. Yeah. 
How old was your brother? He was in his early 20s. So my brother had, um, he had two children. He was living in California. And then he, when my mom had to go out there and get him from California and came back to New York in a time where, where there was not a lot of really good, nothing really that was recovery oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not really recovery oriented stuff back then. This was like the early 70s. And, you know, it was terrible, I mean, for my family and, and for, for my brother, but bouncing in and out of hospitals, trying different medications. It was really pretty, pretty awful for all of us. I was not working in the field at that time. You know, I was playing music and doing my stuff. But yeah, it, 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 was, um, it was awful for my mom and dad. It was not about recovery. What did you get the sense it was about at that time? It was about hopelessness. Yeah, it was terrible. It, it, it was awful. It was about, you know, my brother had a wife and two kids, and they were saying he wanted to go back to his kids, and they were saying, nah, I don't mm, think that's wow. going to happen. Gosh. So it's not really about, you know, getting back to recovery. Yeah, I mean, the word you used is perfect there, hopeless. How could you not feel hopeless if you're told the life that you have or that you had is no longer available to you? Yeah, and and, and the medications then were like um, experimental, I guess, at, at best. Right. You know. So what was that experience like for you as his brother? Are you younger or older, first of all? Um, older. Older, okay. Yeah, so years older. Yeah. So seeing this happen in your brother's life, I imagine was really challenging for you too. Yes, it was. And I was trying to support my family Mm -hmm. and trying to support my mom and dad with that. I mean, I had lived out of the house Mm -hmm. by then. I was married and had my own family going on. And I had no understanding about mental illness. I mean, I was not in the field or anything. So then would it make sense to say that at that time, what the doctors and the treatment teams and things were saying to your brother about his life, that you didn't really have any reason not to believe that was true? Yeah. Yeah, there was not, you know, they did not give us a lot of hope, you know, in terms of recovery. There were not really recovery programs going on there. Right. It was all very much about, well, this is a life sentence kind of thing. Right. You know. Now, at any point, did that messaging shift or change in your family or for your brother? Yeah, it did. Working in the field, mm-hmm. I started working with people with developmental disabilities. But then I was very lucky to connect with Dara Schwartz, who she connected me with the IPRT programs, which were kind of the first recovery-oriented programs in New York State. I'll mention ONH came in and brought in people from uh, Boston and trained us in recovery-oriented services. Mm. That must have been such a light bulb moment for you. What does this mean for people? But also, what does this mean or could it have meant for my brother? Yes, of course. Yeah. And when was that? Um, That was, I guess, 70s, I think. Oh, gosh. Wow. So it wasn't that long after that you got exposed to that work. Yeah. Then tell us how that changed things in your life and his life. Finally realizing that recovery was possible, that was such a change for not only for my brother, but for the clients that, that I work with and still work with. 
you know, it's like, yeah, stuff can change. Wow. We can, we can move on. Right. People can have families and work and do all yeah. kinds of things. That, I know. It, yes. Yeah. Live. <laughs> Good point, Dylan. Yeah. To be honest, I'm, I'm a little surprised by that to hear that it was in the mid seventies that this happened. Right. Because I feel like even looking back to the nineties and things it wasn't still so prominent in a lot of treatment, the even idea now, of recovery. It really depends on where you are, who you're talking to. To me, I see it as like a parallel process where, you know, we have had recovery services developing, as you said, since the 70s, but in some places, in some environments, not much has changed. So we have Mm -hmm. places like MHA that have really infused, really adopted these recovery-oriented concepts. And we have other places that still are going to say, hey, you have a chronic and lifelong disorder. And, you know, your hope is that you're going to have periods in between symptoms recurrences. And that's really the best you're going to hope for. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just so scary to think about because as Jim, you were talking about the hopelessness that your whole family felt because of the messages that you received, right? We just can only hope that people today, because there are so many other options available, have the opportunity to learn that's not the way it has to be before they get sucked into that system of hopelessness. Yes. I mean, like anything else, I mean, if you address it early, it's going to work. And it has with OnTrack. You know, OnTrack has been amazing. I'm I'm so happy to be part of that. And I think that's so important for you to say too, because lots of people experience depression and things like that. And psychosis is less common. And so the temptation might be there to think, oh, okay, well, with this, maybe you can't have that full life that we expect for other people. But what this program proves and shows over time is that, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Absolutely. So now prior to this, you were a musician. You were out there doing your music. Tell us about that part of yourself, the musician. Oh, yeah. Well, I did that for most of my young life. I I was a musician playing with rock bands. Started out in the Bronx. I'm singing street corners, acapella, (laughs) doo-wop stuff. Then along came the Beatles and changed everything. You know, it was like, oh, now we can write songs and play our own instruments. And and as I said, while my brother was going through all his trauma, you know, we finally reconnected. And then we started, you know, we wrote a couple of songs together and and stuff like that. But that kind of helped both of us, I think. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, in, in terms of connecting. But uh, I mean, right now, I'm, you know, I'm still writing the songs and doing stuff. And you still play in a band, right? I don't know about in the last two years. Yeah, I, I mean, the whole pandemic thing really kind of shut down a lot of venues that we've played through. But hopefully that's, that's going to open up again. Yeah, I hope so too. Now, yeah. I know that you have used music in your recovery work with people uh-huh. as well, brought in your guitar to work and other things like that. And so now it's kind of cool to hear that was something that you did to help in your own and your brother's healing process also. So you uh-huh. saw how helpful that was to you and now you're bringing that to others as well. So tell us a little bit about that and how that work has gone. Yeah, I think, you know, music is such a connection and such a great thing to connect with with people. I have a lot of clients in, you know, on track who are doing music and that's a real way to connect with people. And it's great therapy. It's been for me, I know. I have a couple of clients right now who are musicians and writing music 
and I'm trying to share, you know, mm -hmm. stuff I wrote and stuff with their writing. So now, do you find that it's common for those who are musicians to write music that kind of reflects on their experiences that they're having and helps them to process it in a way that maybe they couldn't do through spoken language? Yes, I, I think that that works for all of us. You know, everybody that writes music or works through music, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah that works. You know, that works for you. That's my therapy. I'm sure it's therapy for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because on the podcast, we do always ask people to share a song or lyric or quote or something that has brought meaning to their experience. And a lot of times it is music that people are referencing and not necessarily music that they've written, but because there's so much power in music, you hear somebody else putting in words, potentially what you've been feeling and experiencing on the inside. And that brings meaning or it gives you hope in some way. And then the emotion also that music can create through the sound tones and what instruments are being played and all of that. So it, it makes sense that there's such an interconnection with mental health and music. Absolutely. You know, music heals. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Dylan, you're into music too, aren't you? I don't know if yeah. you write music or, or, or a musician, but I know you like to listen to music. <laughs> I'm a huge fan um, in terms of making it. Not at all. Can't write or make it, but um, I love going to shows. Who are you listening to, Dylan? Uh, right now, I really like this band, Billy Strings. Uh, another band, Dogs in a Pile, Disco Biscuits. <laughs> I haven't heard oh, of any of these. <laughs> yes, I've heard Billy Strings. I'm, I'm an old school guy, so I'm not. <laughs> there are some people I'm, I'm, I'm not in touch with, but yeah, that works. So clearly your passion for mental health and recovery is obvious from your experience in your own life. But where did your love for music start? I grew up in the Bronx. So we used to have that on every street corner, what they call doo-wop. Oh, that's so funny. That's cool. You know, it was like acapella, you know, a couple of guys in the hallways singing, show it show you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, I think so we should bring that back. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, it's still around, but but yeah, but but then, like I said, the Beatles came around and changed everything. It was like, oh, okay, now we can play guitars and write our own songs and that kind of stuff. So, when you wrote the song that we use as our outro, the "Keep It on the Positive Side" song, oh uh, yeah, yeah, when did you write that? I was working at the guidance center. And the guidance center kind of let me go to a program with New Rochelle School System. Long story short, I hooked up with this kid who was a great beat. You know, he was doing beats. And he said, I said, let's, you know, let's get together and do something together. So he gave me a beat and I said, okay, let's do this. And so we did it together. So yeah, he gave me a beat. It was something that I kind of did together with one of my students in the GED program. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. If you're still in touch with them, you got to let them know. This is being played all over the world. <laughs> we should try to catch no, up with them. No, Anthony is wonderful. He was, but it's about engagement. You know, you know music has really helped me engage with, with clients. Always. Yeah. 
Oh, I can see that for sure. I'm mm-hmm. also curious just in playing shows and live music, just having your music out there, if people have ever come to you also and said, hey, this song you wrote did X, Y, Z for me, or I don't know, had some sort of breakthrough because of your music. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I've, I've had a lot of people, you know, talk to me about this song works, you know, I love this song. <laughs> short answer is yes yes you know that's so kind of cool have, have said to me yes you know jimmy this song i still listen to it all the time and like i said it, it, it's really helped me engage with people not just people in terms of um you know my work but you know people and friendships that makes sense I just think that's so cool because you said before music is therapy. And so you're, you're doing therapy and you might not even know it. I mean, in terms of the work that you do, I know you said a big piece of it is about working with the families and talking to families. What is the message that you really try to, to send to them? Recovery is real. Recovery is real. Don't give up. Always have hope. Listen and keep an open ear. It's real. It happens. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, like I said, with my parents, my brother, you know, who was young, you know, the message back there was, well, it's a life sentence, but it's not anymore. It's not. Right? What's it like to be in the position that years ago, someone gave you this hopeless message, and now you're in the position to give a family a message? How is that for you? That's wonderful. It makes my job. It, it, makes, it, it makes me do what I do. Mm-hmm. It, it really does. It's like, holy crap. I mean, you know, after, after all of this stuff and, and, you know, we talk about life experience. I don't have the life experience that a lot of other people do in terms of their own experience with the mental health system. But I do have that family experience. And so I, I try to let the families know this is not a life sentence. You know, this is going to be okay. Do you find that it's hard for people to believe you sometimes or that it takes them time to believe you or are they grasping onto that message? It's very hard for them to believe. And with On Track being an early intervention program, it's their first experience with mental illness. It really is. And they really don't have a lot of information. But at least I'm thinking that the information that they're getting from us is positive. It's about recovery. You know, we're working towards recovery. I can say, you know, it's a wonderful thought to think of that being the first message a family receives. As scary as it is to not have information, as scary as it is to be there the first time, it's such a a more enlightening thought to think that that's what people are hearing now from someone like you who has the experience, who's been there as a family member and who knows that it isn't a hopeless situation, that recovery is not only possible, it is likely with the right supports. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, that, that's why I'm, I'm, I, I feel so blessed to be part of a program that, that does that, that gives that kind of support, right. you know, that gives that kind of love to, to families. And, and so our people then saying, let's move. Let's keep moving. Yeah. Well, and hope that's what gives people the strength and the motivation to keep moving, to know that it's most likely headed in that direction. I'm really excited to ask you this question because like I said, we ask everybody this, but I'm curious if there's a song that stands out. And I almost want to ask this twice because 
I want to know if there's a song in your life that you've heard that has really brought meaning to your experience. And then also if you could pick a song that you've written that you feel like has the most power in terms of your experience. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's a big question. <laughs> I know I didn't crap. prepare you for that one. Sorry. <laughs> that's a big, that's a big question. Um, and Jenna, that's so hard to answer. I'm, I don't, <laughs> that's so, okay. So many jillions of songs, <laughs> you know, in, in my life. Oh mm-hmm. my God. I don't know. I mean, I was thinking, what did I listen to this morning? Beatles in my life. You know, I love that song. That's such a, a great song. Playing out and playing as many songs as I have. It's like, yeah, it's so hard to pin one down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not one where you're like, okay, this was a really powerful, the most powerful experience I had writing music was, you know, this one thing that stood out. I just, I just thought I'd ask because I thought it'd be interesting. (laughs) Yeah. No, actually there's a song I wrote for my brother. Uh, It's called Phil's Tune and it's on one of my CDs. And, you know, everybody says to me, that's the one. I played it at a lot of funerals and memorials and stuff like that. That's the killer. Yeah, that's that's the one where I wrote that for Philip. Well, thank you for sharing that. Sorry, I asked you a hard question there. <laughs> I guess it's probably a hard question for a lot of people, but, you know, particularly for a musician whose whole life is about music, right? So many things could stand out there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up today? Or Dylan, do you have any other questions you want to ask? I have one. It's mostly music yeah. related, but I'm wondering if you have a favorite venue and it could be one you played or one you saw someone else play, but any favorite venues around? Oh my goodness. I was j- just thinking about, it. I've seen so many bands, but actually I've, I've, I lost a, a lot of not seeing people because I was playing gigs all the time, right. you know? So I was like, oh, my God, and I lost. But McCartney's coming back around. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Field, right? You know, so, <laughs> so my friends and I are thinking about, all right, let's 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 go and see Paulie. I love McCartney, <laughs> nice. you know? And so I'm thinking about, I did see him at Shea Stadium. Not the Beatles Shea Stadium, but McCartney Shea Stadium. That was awesome. He just blew me away. I mean, his energy. I mean, he's older than me, and he's running from the keyboard to the bass to the guitar. You know, I was like, holy crap. Not even stopping to have a sip of water. So he's like my role model. Nice. (laughs) Just in terms of, wow, his energy and and his, everything is done. I mean, but he's wonderful. I love McCartney. Anything else you want to share before we let you go? I just want to say say goodbye to Jeremy. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I know Jeremy is leaving MHA. He has been such a wonderful guy in so many ways for so many people. Getting a little shout out here on the podcast. Yeah, shout out to Jeremy. (laughs) And shout out to Dara Schwartz. Doris got me an MHA. She got me through in the guidance center back in the day. So yeah, she really turned me on to like recovery oriented services. And I will always appreciate that. Thanks, Dots. It's so funny because that's Jeremy for me. So small little world in, in our mental ah. health community. 
Jeremy mm-hmm. brought me into recovery work from oh. the beginning. <laughs> Jeremy is awesome, but we're going to miss him. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jim. Couldn't thank you more for the amazing music that you provided for us. And I'm glad that people got a chance to know a little bit about you now. So when they hear the music, they won't just be like, wow, this is such great music. But wow, what a cool guy that wrote this music. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Every night some rain must fall And learn to live and rise above it all As hopeless as it seems Don't let anyone be stepping on your dreams And keep it on the positive side Before you give that love to 